Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it! This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hotbody Dawson, pow pow pow! I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? This is Sir Alf Ramsey Odyssey again. We are working our way, fucking working our way through the introduction of the book about Sir Alf Ramsey. Um, fuck knows how long this is going to go for. We might just get bored of this in a few weeks and just knock it on the yeah. head before we even get into the fucking book. Um, but uh, where are we? Uh, yeah, Gordon Taylor. We talked about Gordon Taylor for a while so because he was mentioned. Um, um, and it was about the, the lack of respect that Sir Alf was shown from the footballing establishment hmm. um, after his after his retirement uh, for the, the, the twilight years before he passed away. Um, and it says here, outside the confines of his England squad, respect was something Sir Arthur had rarely been shown. The reluctance to honour him was not confined to the FA. Uh, ever since 1966, he'd been subject to a stream of criticism for his approach to football. Um, it... I mean, he was. I, the, the, his, I remember reading about his sacking because that came in 74, I think, 73, 74. But it was like a long, drawn-out process and he was on borrowed time for such a long time and he was probably just kept in the job for a, a year or two longer than he should have been because of 66. Yeah. And yeah. people were saying that the football had you know, moved on and passed him well, by. Well, it's like Wenger kind of and Ferguson at, yeah. at Arsenal and United. It was a similar situation, particularly Wenger, where they kind of, you know, he he, he got extra years based on what he'd achieved in yeah. the past, didn't they? Yeah. And um, they'd probably have him back now. Um, yeah. But that wouldn't be any good. I, I, I remember the other day, Ferguson, do you remember when Ferguson said he was going to retire? Yeah. And then he changed his mind. And then stayed on for another eleven years. <laughs> yeah, was yeah, it was great. a power play. It was the yeah. ultimate power play, wasn't it? Yeah. I might go. And then what they did was they immediately went and tried to hire Sven Goran Eriksson. Yeah, and they, and Fergie was like, "Ha ha, not really, come some stain." <laughs> and Sven Goran Eriksson, who is a man who, in every element of his life, has always had his eye on the main chance. Oh, completely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Massive charlatan, but. Huge respect. I've got Shrewd. huge respect for him. Yeah. I've got huge yeah. respect for him. He's lived his life. He's just sort of thought, yeah, I'll fucking jump on what I can. Because he was at Lazio, wasn't Literally he? And he t- thought he could j- jump on what he can. Footballing-wise, yeah. women, whatever. Birds, football, whatever you bring to me. Whatever you bring to me, I will jump on it. I mean, we've ask talked about Chris. this. We, we, ask we, my friend, Strong Grip. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> the... Um, the incident with the champagne, haven't we? And Deep Mohaman, where uh, they were on a Man City pre-season tour and they were sitting around the pool at the hotel and it was 11am and yeah. Goran Eriksson comes out with a, a bottle of champagne and two glasses and sits down next to Haman. Haman says, what are we celebrating, boss? And Goran Eriksson goes, life, Kaiser. We are celebrating <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> what a man. 11am champagne. Eriksson's an amazing bloke, isn't he? I mean... 
he now like I, I can't remember where I heard this, but he like lives out in the fucking mountains in Sweden somewhere, like in a lakeside <laughs> home. But what I like about him is well, imagine the amount of dough that cunt's made. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if one day someone did the ultimate football audit and found out the best paid person in the history of the game yeah. is Svengoran Eriksson. Quite probably. Right. I mean, he took and he took yeah. over Notts County once, didn't he? Because there was yeah. money in it. He's for like, him. fine. Uh, uh, Le- oh, is Le- that Svengoran Eriksson? Yes. Yes, that's right. I've got a job. I'll take it. Do you want to know where it is? It's not a problem. I go to airport now. <laughs> and he... Um, but, like, what I really like about him is he's got all these millions of pounds. He's taken all these different fucking mad jobs. Like, cause he managed quite a few international teams, I think. Didn't he manage a few mm. international teams after England? Or am I thinking of I'm Capello sure he has there? Done. Capello's sure he has another done. one, just like him. But there's something less likeable about Capello. But yeah. Sven uh, is, is currently on Cameo and Memo and all those other personal messaging apps, which I also respect him for because he's like, Every Sam, Andy, if he was mentoring us, which I would love. Sam, Andy, yeah. you, you must understand. It's like the, as the commercials say, every little helps. <laughs> yeah, I, I make mean... many millions of pounds from football, but I am on cameo. Now, they advise me, go on for 250 pounds like John Barnes. But I say, no, <laughs> I go on at 60 pounds, just 60 pounds, <laughs> and you get message from Sven Gordon Eriksson. <laughs> very appealing price point. Very appealing price point, because... At the end of the day, £60 is as much as maybe we are talking about one gram of cocaine on English street <laughs> prices, OK? And it is just as invigorating to receive a message from Sven Goran Eriksson as it, it is to do forever. one gram of cocaine. It lasts forever. <laughs> you keep it forever, not like the cocaine sensation. So I think um, it's very good. And I, I sit in my home by the lake and I look a- across the water and I record maybe 80, 90, 100 personal messages on my iPhone every day. That's a lot. I count it up. That's a lot do of money the, there. Do the maths. It's a lot. It's a lot of cocaine. I mean money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> I make £6,000. And it might be very easy. Like, hello, uh, your name is Catherine. It is your birthday. I am Sven Goran Eriksson. And your husband, Jonathan, has asked me to say happy birthday to you, Catherine. So happy birthday. Okay, goodbye. £60 in the bank. Thank you for your buddy. Goodbye. Here's his um, his managerial resume. Because I mean, he was he was managing in Italy, wasn't it? When football Italia was big on Channel Four, and he was a yeah, big deal. Sampdoria, Sampdoria, and Lazio. Yeah, I think he might and have done Fiorentina. Yeah, it was just Sampdoria and Lazio, and then 2001 England, and then after that, one year Manchester City, one year Mexico, <laughs> less than a year Ivory Coast, <laughs> one year Leicester City. Uh, a break and one year Guangzhou RNF in China. Yeah, of course, fine. Of course, I'll do that. of course, China. And then yeah. two years Shanghai, and then one year Shenzhen, and then one year Philippines national team. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite one. Was the Philippines? My, yeah, Imelda Marcos personally invited me. I would like to get her know <laughs> a lot better. She seems like a very interesting and attractive woman. <laughs> you invite me to look at her shoes <laughs> I haven't been to shoes I have a very strong fondness for shoes and feet <laughs> what was that thing with um, with uh, what's the name Ulrika and it was like first we do oh, the washing yeah. up then we fuck I can't remember it was, there yeah, was something it was... to do the washing up wasn't there I can't remember he invited her over right. and then 
like they, he cooked a dinner and they had a little chat and then the subject yeah. of, like, of them having it off came up like yeah we can have it off mm. and he goes yes and she was a bit like well come on then let's get down to it and he was like yeah. no first we must do the washing up then we got to the bedroom <laughs> very methodical you can see why he's a good coach very with that kind of attitude yeah yeah the Notts County thing he was director of football uh, a reported but unconfirmed two million pound a year deal yay Get in there. Get in there. And, um, Do you reckon so him and Strong Grip just fucking used to go out on the Raz when he landed one of those well, jobs? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. And they signed Saul Campbell and they signed Casper Schmeichel back in, this is back in 2009. Uh, county's large debts, including an unpaid tax bill, emerged in November 2009. And then Ericsson resigned two months later after the club was taken over by someone who obviously wasn't mad. Um hmm. So yeah, that was a just a direct. It's not good job, for but... me, Sven. Leaving now, I do not like Nottinghamshire County. Let me tell you <laughs> that I was in the um, queue once. About I'm going back to about 1990, but I'll never forget it. I was in the queue at West Ham for some away tickets. So we were there for a home game. We got there early to queue up for away tickets. The old ticket office mm. and the people in front of us were foreign. They may have been Swedish. I didn't establish what nationality they were, but they sounded a bit Scandinavian. They looked it. And when they got to the front of the queue, they said, may I purchase two tickets for West Ham versus Nottinghamshire County, please? <laughs> and we laughed because I suppose in a way we were being racist not racist, but you know, haha, listen to the foreigner not saying yeah. something right. Yeah. Um, but then it struck us. That's what their fucking name is. Nottinghamshire County. Yeah, because that's the name of the county, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he, so they just the said it in there? full. It was you. So it? who was the idiot? Exactly. Yeah, us. you. Delaney, again. Delaney um, the cunt. Yeah. <laughs> so the, just looking at the Philippines thing. Um, Terry Butcher had had the job before Sven Goran Eriksson so it's obviously a fucking dumping ground for chances <laughs> I've still got a massive massive levels of resentment from when Terry Butcher was Sunderland manager oh yeah for about a year and a half um, yeah uh, he had a, a winless Asian Cup and his tenure was ended but he would continue to serve as a consultant ah. the, consult- the consultancy gig is the number one gig now that's the of the chancellor isn't it of course mm. it is. Freelance football consultant. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. that we, when we get a bit deeper into Ramsey's career, that, that he, he that's what he did in Greece, wasn't he? He was doing a bit of consultancy out there. I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah. Before he turned back to Melchester. I mean, the Melchester gig was a bit of a, an Ericsson type of job, wasn't it? Turn up, do the Very job for three so. months, take the money and then fuck off. Soon as the fucking soon as he hears Roy's been shot in the hair, he'd have been straight on the fucking straight blower, the wouldn't he? Yeah. To uh, San Barlow. Um it's mad football this... though, like the way that Ericsson got all those jobs. I mean, you know, I've banged on about my love of Lazio many times, but they won the league. Last time they won the league, yeah. right, in I think two thousand and one uh two thousand. They won the league, right, with Ericsson as manager. But if you actually look at how they did that, they just, at that period, were the equivalent of, like, City now. They just bought fucking every one of the best players in Serie A or slash the world. Yeah. You know, they had Varon and Nedved and Simeone and Salas and uh, Boxic and 
basically all the best players of that generation all played at Lazio and they yeah. scraped the league title on the last day of the season. But it was a very good team. But it was like... And then he goes to England and he had England with... Now on reflection, the, the England team today is a better team. But obviously we all know the individuals in that England squad that he inherited were... An amazing one-off generation of players. That the golden generation. He basically just fucking picked them. I I think I maintain David Beckham was more or less put in charge of that, right? And it was just like he just fucking picked all these players, David Beckham, Michael Owen, all the other cunts, and just stuck them out there, right? <laughs> yeah. And we never got fucking anywhere because it was just like he just he was probably on he was either shagging or drinking champagne. <laughs> but what's mad is right, and of course this isn't a criticism. I respect him all the more for it. But what's mad is is that during that period. Every time a big club like Manchester United, who were a lot bigger then than they are now, or a lot more prestigious, let's say, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Chelsea too, and all these different clubs, whenever they needed a manager, whenever there was a massive job, it was always Ericsson. Yeah, oh, we've got to get Ericsson, get Ericsson. So what I'm saying is there's no due diligence in football, no, considering the amount yeah. of money there is in football. These yeah. clubs are run so incompetently. It's like in the transfer window... You know, it's the usual nonsense. That, uh, we're, we're recording this on transfer deadline day, like by West Ham fans. Like, why don't we get more players in our team? We just buy more players, even though we're fucking second in the league with the players we've got, right? And it's just like children. They just want more presents for the fucking sake of it, just for the temporary thrill of opening them. Yeah. And then they chuck them away anyway, right? And um, clubs really do. We've got David Moyes, who is who is a stickler for doing his research on players. I know you're going to say he didn't do it at Sunderland. I don't know what happened there, but he is really like he's he, he's a he does his due diligence and then some, and it fucks people off, and they call him Dithering Dave, right? But yeah. I'm just thinking, yeah, because before an agent would call up our owner, and this happens every club, and go, we've got this player, he's decent, he's got one cap for Colombia. I'll send you a YouTube link. Anyway, he's available. Yeah. Do you want to buy him? And the yeah. owner would go, yeah. And then spend like eight million quid on the basis of that. And that goes on throughout football. Why don't they fucking like but, think before they offer loads of yeah, money to people? They, they don't. We've said this before. Football is run by clowns and idiots. And no one's got a fucking clue what's going on. There's no professionalism whatsoever. When you say, I mean, Roy Keane touches upon this in the fucking spectacular oh, yeah. hour-long interview that he does with Gary Neville that's just appeared on YouTube in the last yeah. few days. What's it called? The Overlap or something? Neville's little fucking interview series he's got going on. And if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Get it watched. It's brilliant. There's, there's almost too much there for us to do a deep dive into. But right. Keane is just fucking on top form. And uh, there's loads of mentions of things that are in the book that we did the deep dive into. So there's loads of little callbacks to that. If, you, if you're going to watch it. But Kane's talking about, he, he complains about the same seven or eight managers keep getting the same jobs all the time. Yeah. In like championship and league one. And he says, he says, I can't get a job. He says, but there's all these same managers keep getting the same jobs. And Neville's going, that's because you don't network and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You don't make the right noises and everything, which is kind of true, but... And yeah. Kane's gone, what network? What's that about? What, what, what is it? What have you got to do? What, what have you got to do that for? And all this yeah. sort of thing. And this completely down to earth and completely true sense that Roy Kane has everything he says yeah. is fucking right 
Um, and yeah, and Ericsson was the same as that. It would be like, it's like a glamour signing. Let's get Sven Goran Ericsson in to do that job. Because Ericsson will do anything if there's a pound note in it for him. So that just yeah. perpetuated itself yeah, over so like it was easy. And he years. had that, that there, was a, there was an age, a super agent at the time called Pini Javi. I think that was yeah. his name. And he was always being talked about, wasn't super he? Super agent. He was a super agent, and at one point, he even—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like hired in a consultancy role by fucking Abramovich or something, right? So he was obviously a guy who fucking knew how to make a few quid as well. Of course, and uh, they were in cahoots with each other. It's just fucking yeah. ludicrous, and it's all part of the whole fucking fiasco—the fact that this this fella going round is being called a super agent. And the media's yeah. buying into all that, and it it's just, it just self perpetuates. I think, in a bullshit. way, one of the one of the problems is this is quite a, a a cynical thing to say, but in some ways, one of the problems with football is that people involved in decision making almost are influenced too much by the fans. Some people think, <clears> oh, <throat> they don't listen to the fans enough, but when it comes to spending money. I think that, in a way, they listen too much to the fans. Like, mm. to take this transfer window again, there was this fucking stampede at West Ham. And if you look around on Twitter, it happened at every club, with these kids just going, and I assume it is kids, going, eh, we've only spent this amount. Why don't we spend this amount? Right? That's like yeah. my kids when they say shit like, why don't we have a swimming pool? Right? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. because we can't fucking afford a swimming pool. They're really expensive. <laughs> and they go, rump. Because they're sort of like, I bet he could fucking afford it. He's just being tight. He's <laughs> buying a shed. He's buying a shed for his garden. Yeah, buy a fucking swimming pool, you dickhead. Jalapeño. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jalapeño. And that's what football fans are like. And But I think that that really affects football owners, because, because especially in the era of social media. Managers and owners come under such immense pressure to sort of satisfy mm. their fans and demonstrate ambition, as it's called, by spending money. And they fucking do it. They get sucked into that whole yeah. fucking mentality that's driven by fans and, of course, journalists as well. And yeah. um, I don't know, like, the successfully run clubs, of which there are very few, but people often point towards, for instance, Leicester as being an example. They seem to fucking keep their head down and get on with what they want to do. Or Brentford's another yeah. one. They do the old yeah. money ball thing where they only make purchases on the basis of data, which seems very fucking smart to me. I mean, it's almost one of those things where you think, well, what else are people fucking basing things on if it wasn't exactly. data? Yeah, well, I mean, Sunderland have famously got a data-driven yeah. uh, business model now, but have they all not got data-driven models now? Are they all not using data? 
It depends how you use the data. Not, though, not, it? Um, they, they probably look at data a bit, but there's other facts as well, like who's available or who's fucking going to sell shirts or something, you know. But they pick yeah. up players. I mean, if you look at Brentford, they sold Ben Rama to us for about 20 million, Ollie Watkins for about the same to Villa. Both players doing well in the Premier League. No one had fucking hurt. Now they've got Tony up front. These are all players that they just identified. No fucking scouts going, oh, I like the look of him. Mm. They just base it on fucking figures. Talking of data, set slightly separate, but West Ham are also, there's a there's a, an outfit trying to buy us off of David Sullivan. Outfit. Some sort of bunch <laughs> of fucking, I don't know, some some faceless financial fucking entity, right, with no human group. face. Yeah. Right, it's called Pi Capital or something. God, it's awful. Their their inspirational quote that they keep putting out there is, "We feel we can do something with West Ham." Oh, thanks a fucking lot. That's Churchillian. You can do something with us, can you? You cunts. What? Thanks for Fuck us up the ass. We'll just sit back and let it happen. Yeah. So anyway, they the the pertinent point of what I'm saying is is that they said we in order to establish our bid. We were given access to the West Ham data room. Oh, that's what happens, isn't and it? And I was yeah. like, what the fuck is it? And then they started just chucking it around like, yeah, if you're going to buy any big company, you always request access to the data room. That, that and happened then I'm when like, Sunderland. When Sunderland were bought recently. When, have you, they, they, have you they got a data room? Sold. We've got a data room. We're League One. We've got a data room. Yeah. But had yeah. you heard the term data room? So you heard that when they were being taken over, yeah? That's yeah. like getting yeah, last, used. Last, last year, our data room And had came you heard it before? Had you heard about these data think, rooms? Not sure I had. Not sure I had, no. I fucking hadn't. I'd, 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 and I'm I'd like, why haven't Top Flight like Time Machine got a data room, for fuck's sake? I'm not, who says we haven't? Maybe you don't know about it. Oh, it's in Sunderland, isn't it? I mean... Or I, is it in Nottingham? It used to be due diligence. That was the phrase that was used mm. because I remember when Niall Quinn's consortium bought Sunderland in 2006, I think it was, mm. there was lots of talk about the, the deal won't go through until the due diligence due has diligence, been completed. Yeah. That was, that was, that, it's a data room now. It's access to the data room. It used to Let be due diligence. Let me see your data room. You yeah, can due do diligence, due diligence, I, I, but like, you can't like, do it unless you get in the data room first. Like so many phrases that I bandy about in my day-to-day life, I learned them from just reading about football, right? Yeah. So due diligence was something I heard as, as well when West Ham were bought by those Icelandic fucking clowns years ago, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh, due diligence, that sounds good. So then yeah. I started chucking it in, you know, like you do, I started testing the waters and using yeah. it day to day. So I, I used it a lot when I was buying my first flat with the solicitor. Mm. Mm. Better do our due diligence first, Mr. Yeah. Gentry, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah. And he was like, hmm, this kid knows his stuff, right? Yeah. Now I use it all the time. I use it all the time on this podcast, always due diligence. Now I'm going to have to start using data room. Upgrade the data room, yeah. I mean, so, But even in small the, transactions, like the, say I was, if I'd asked, you know, the, the, the fucking debacle of me trying to buy my garden shed, if I'd said yeah. to the shed company, let me see your data room first, I might not have got myself into the mess I'm in now. Yeah, you didn't know, did you? Oh, you tried to do your due diligence. You said you had, but you didn't take I've done it to the due next diligence, level. But I hadn't looked in the data you didn't room. Didn't get into a data room. No, I mean people are now. You hear your due diligence now when people are talking about when they get when they're getting into prospective relationships with people romantically, and they talk about have you done your due diligence on invariably him. 
because men mm. don't fucking do that kind of thing. They just hope they're going to get their leg over. Women, <laughs> on the other hand, have been burned yeah. many, many times, and they'll do like social media checks on people, and that's the due yeah, diligence. That's isn't fair, it? really. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Of course it is. But is there a data room for relationships? For I don't think there is. I don't think there is yet. But I don't know. Maybe, when my wife comes home, I'm going to ask her if I can see her data room. <laughs> Fucking hell! Well, the kids have yeah, got the penny. Sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? Show me your data room. Yeah. I like Can I get basic access instinct. To your data when, room? In that bit in basic instinct when she flashes her data room. <laughs> Can I get access to your data room? It's not your birthday show. <laughs> Great chat up line. Classic. Um Well anyway, so, Alf Ramsey, I but I doubt he had a fucking data room back in no, his day. None of that. Of course not. No, and there wasn't any due diligence, and there wasn't. Um, no, nothing. He nothing was hired like by a committee, and and yeah. before him, there was there was Walter Winterbottom, and before him, <laughs> it was like the England cricket selectors. There was Walter just a fucking. There was a selector. There was a selection committee for England, mm. wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Should still I have think that. It was, was it not after the. the the USA team beat England in 1950. That was they when said they we better get a man. We get better get get Walter yeah. Winterbottom on the fucking line. He'll Fuck know what to right do. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so um, where are we? Yeah, it, it, he'd always been criticised for his approach to football. His manner was condemned as aloof and forbidding. His methods overcautious and ultra defensive. He was widely mm. seen as the leader who hated flair and distrusted genius. A dull man in charge of a dull team. Ramsey's robots, as they were called, were said to have taken all grace and romance out of football. Um, and it was Bob Kelly, the president of the Scottish FA, who said, um, Alf pulls the strings and the players dance for him. He has theorised them out of the game. They mustn't think for themselves. They have been so brainwashed by tactics and talks that individual talent has been thrust into the background. So, uh, but I mean, there's a long-standing animosity between Alf Ramsey and um, the Scottish FA, wasn't there? What was the line when he went? To, he landed in Scotland. Um, yeah, there it is. Welcome to Scotland. When he landed at Prestwick Airport, and he just said, "You must be fucking joking." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting though, like because I said before about how my 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 dad without much explanation has always made it clear to me that he hates Alf Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that animosity that you're describing there, yeah, it's something that I've been aware of over the years. But I wonder if that's why England are the way they are, because even now, all these decades on, our only moment of glory was um as a result of a team that discouraged flair and was just based on being highly efficient and quite dull. Yeah. And that that has an impact. You know, so Brazil won World Cups, won their first few World Cups in the birth of the World Cup by playing exciting samba football. And that sort of sticks culturally. It becomes part of your DNA. We Mm. won our only World Cup by being dull. And that maybe is why for many years, successive managers, even ones who'd had success in the past by coaching flair teams, just sort of tried to, you know, it's almost comes as a directive when you get the job, is that this is what England do. That's why so many flair players didn't win any England caps. Yeah. That's why even when we had flair players, like in Sven's era, for example, we still played very dull 4-4-2 football. Yeah. It was all because of of Ramsey. 
You kind of have to, though, if you want to win anything. I mean, Southgate successfully well, Southgate. returned to that kind of ethos, didn't he, this year? And he well, was, Southgate it was, proved it could be done, and yeah. I don't think England were particularly boring to watch either. I think they were. I, I found it. But I suppose if you're winning, which we were, and like people haven't said this enough, but it, it you know it doesn't reflect that much on well on England's history. But get it right, Gareth Southgate got us to a fucking final. Yeah. People still wank on now about fucking Italia ninety and Euro ninety six because we got to a fucking semi, which yeah. is an embarrassment. We treat that like it was winning a trophy. He got us to a fucking final, to a penalty shootout in a final. But what I'm saying is, is sometimes you've got to just revert to that kind of organised, slightly dull yeah. sort of brand of football. You're talking about Brazil. Brazil won the World Cup in 1970, then didn't win it again until 1994. And that 94 Brazil team were criticised for being a dull, dull kind of formulaic They um, were personified by Dunga. Their exactly. water carrier. And then they won it in on penalties against Italy in what was one of the worst World Cup finals anybody's had to sit through. Also the only World Cup final I have personally attended. Exactly. You've been to a World Cup final. That's fucking I know, it's amazing. And I really enjoyed it because I think I was just caught up in it. But when I came it was a back World Cup my, final. Yeah. my mates were obviously jealous, right? We were like I was about eighteen, nineteen. And there was mm. sort of like a what I regarded as a bitter resentment to the fact that I had gone to a World Cup final. And when I came out, they were like, ah, gutted. You saved up all that money to watch the worst fucking football match <laughs> of all time. Everyone <laughs> said it. We're all watching it on the box, fucking pissing ourselves. Because I'd like oh, yeah. fucking toiled in a call centre to fucking scrape together the money for the um, flight out there, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a bit final. cunty of them, wasn't it? It's a World Cup final, fuck you. I win. I was like, I was in Los Angeles watching the World Cup final in the Rose Bowl, and I could, I was fucking standing only about 10 rows back from Dunga when he lifted the trophy, so I got a fucking yeah. clear line of sight at it. And yeah. that is something to remember. Exactly, so fuck you. Um, yeah, so. Um, Critics said that winning the World Cup had been disastrous for British football in the long term because it encouraged a negative style of play. Um, particularly regrettable was his abandonment of wingers in favour of a mundane 4-3-3 formation, which the relied more wonders. on packing the, mid, the, the midfield and building attacks from the flanks. Flank ball! Um, <laughs> Sir Arthur's enthusiasm for the aggressive knobby styles was seen as typical of his dour outlook, as was his preference for the hard-working Jeff Hurst over the more creative, less diligent Jimmy Greaves in the final. Uh, in Alf's England, it seemed the workhorse was more valued than the thoroughbred. But that's the thing, you had fucking thousands of people calling for Jack Grealish to be brought on and for the, the team to be built around him in, um, yeah. in the Euros this year. And, of course, Southgate resisted that and he was proved right. Southgate showed balls and metal to go his own way and we got to the fucking final. And he yeah. used Grealish really well as well because he brought Grealish yeah. on at key moments which worked for us and also to all these oh why didn't he pick Jim and Greaves well you cunts because fucking Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick <laughs> yeah but we didn't know that at the time that's hindsight isn't it well vindicated mm. well done Alf and Jeff yeah, you deserved your night in out in the titty bars to celebrate <laughs> Jeffrey you have vindicated me and yourself we shall go out tonight and look at some tits. Are you we with me? Feast. <laughs> we'll oh, feast on the tits of London. Enter the I small I certainly am, Mr. Alf. We will see <laughs> such tits 
tits like you could never imagine. <laughs> well, cup I, winning tits. I told Mrs. Ramsey that if we do win this World Cup, do not expect me to come home this evening. So I've got a free <laughs> pass until uh, <laughs> tomorrow morning. Does she know you're going out titty watching? She can she use her imagination. Know. Where does she think <laughs> I am at that time of night? <laughs> I've just won the fucking World Cup. Where, where does she think I'm going? If you can't fucking look at library. tits then, when can you look at tits? <laughs> what better way for an Englishman to celebrate? <laughs> it's the ultimate release. After the tension that has built up throughout this tournament. <laughs> it's the ultimate rush. <laughs> How it's my adrenaline sport. <laughs> How are we supposed to maintain the adrenaline rush that we've built up by winning the World Cup? By looking at tits in London. There's no but other Jeffrey, way. Jeffrey, come closer. Come closer, Jeffrey. Don't tell any of the other cunts. It's just me and you. Not Bobby or Martin, your clubmates. They won't <laughs> understand. Not, and definitely not Nobby. <laughs> no, we'll never be let in anywhere with Nobby. We'll get turned away at the door. It's just me and you, Jeffrey. The other cunts did fuck all. I was the coach and you scored the fucking hat trick. So it's just tits for it's us tonight. Just us. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone say that Gordon Banks is a hero when he let two in. That fucking clown. It's just us. You went above and beyond. You scored a hat-trick. We shouldn't have no needed to score a hat-trick. If they followed my plan, we would have won it 1-0. Why should we share the tits around when we're the ones who did all the donkey work? <laughs> We've earned those tits, Jeffrey. Every single Quite one of them. Quite right. Quite right, Sir Ralph. <laughs> I'm not a sir yet, but I will be. That's very You're right to call me that. <laughs> Ah, uh, so there we are. Um, I'm hoping for the title Grand Admiral. I've already <laughs> submitted my request to the Queen, who's up there in the royal fucking box. <laughs> I'm hoping for the title Grand Wizard of Association Football. <laughs> my application has been submitted. We'll see. Could open a lot of doors to me, that. Will also get me off any speeding tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I intend to start driving over the speeding limit everywhere I fucking go from now on. Why not? I want, one of the, I want one of those titles that allows me to lead my cow throughout Westminster. I'm not sure which one it is, but I want that one. <laughs> I I saw Her Majesty when we went up the steps, the hallowed Wembley steps. I leant into her and she said, congratulations. And I said, I want diplomatic... I said two words. <laughs> diplomatic number plates. She said, that's three words. I said, don't fucking... Pi- don't be pedantic, Your Majesty. Just get the fucking plates fitted just, ASAP. I've just won the fucking World Cup. Don't fuck me about. Your move, I said. Your move, Doris. <laughs> now, me and Jeffrey are out titty watching. By the time I come home tomorrow morning, I expect to see diplomatic number plates saying some fucking alf on my rover. <laughs> Front and back. Don't try and fuck me about. So, there we are. Um, and we've learned, really come full circle we've learned that nobody in football should listen to anything that fans say because they haven't got a fucking clue quite right yeah so uh, there we are get somebody who knows what they're doing but who does know what they're doing Andy I mean who would you trust if you had to if you ever thought if you had to appoint a chief executive of a big organisation of which you were the owner but you were like Mm. just in your in your hammock out in your um, Mallorcan rig and you had to leave someone else in charge (sighs) who do you know who you think, yeah, I'll leave them in charge. Not You don't have to know in person, but who in the public eye, who, who do you think I'd go, would be a safe I'd go bet? Fucking, fucking Roy Keane. 
Just just Roy mm. Keane, no one else. I no one's got a clue, and everyone's a chancer, and everyone's winging it. And the more yeah. impressive someone sounds, the more suspect I am about their actual credentials. Yeah, slick that's, like that's a politician my, who's got yeah. the gift of the gab. It's like that fucker who's in charge of the NHS test and trace, what you call Dido Harding, who's bounced oh, around from one chief executive job to another, leaving a trail of destruction in her wake. Because she knows um, what to say in the meetings, doesn't she? Exactly, exactly. It's all bullshit. Right, let's leave it there, because um, I've had enough. We've got life to one. live. Yeah. We have, fuck this. Thanks for listening, everyone. Back with more next week. Tell her. God bless. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.